Well, good morning again, everyone. Thank you, uh, Trudy, for the way that you've led worship this morning. And I think um, just a very apt song to lead into what I'll be sharing with you this morning about what, what can God do? What are the miracles that God can do leading into the year? Uh, but I'm going to read our passage for this morning now, which is Mark chapter 10. Verses 13 to 31. Mark 10, 13 to 31. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honour your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, we have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Sorry, Alex, would you mind getting me some water? It seems to be drying up. Let's, uh, let's pray as we head into the Word this morning. Lord, we thank you for this time that we have to dig into your Word. Uh, and I just thank you for the many treasures that are in store, uh, stored up within it, that you can uh, reveal your kingdom to us through it. I just pray that as we... Look into it this morning. We have open hearts to hear what you have to say to each one of us. Amen. But before we get underway today, uh, this is not strictly relevant, but this passage just reminds me of my all-time favourite Christian joke. So Alex wasn't a big fan of it, but you can be the judges for yourselves. <laughs> Jesus said to John, come forth and receive eternal life. But he came fifth and won a toaster. I got an applause from Tim. 
It was worth it. I mean, what's, what are the prizes above fourth? Anyway, last week Alex spoke on the parable of the talents and uh, these three servants who were given three different amounts of money by their master and it was about uh, how do we use the gifts that God has given us. Two of those servants went away and used those gifts and were rewarded even though they, they risked it and uh, one of them didn't, didn't use those gifts, just buried his money in a field and he was reprimanded. So... Um, you know, looking at the year ahead, what has God given me and how can I use it? And what are my goals and focal points for the year? How can I be productive? How can I achieve this year? Uh, what can I achieve this year with what God has given me? The passage this week is less about what can I do with what I have and more about what can God do in the areas that I am lacking. And it's a tale of two different hearts. The hearts of the children who readily accept, and the tale of the rich young man who faces a great inner turmoil about the decision that he has to make. Um, so let's work our way through the passage, starting, starting at the start. So verses 13 and 14, people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Now, it was only last chapter in Mark chapter 9 that Jesus said, with a child in his arms, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but welcomes the one who sent me. When Jesus does this, he, he says that uh, in that instance that anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. So there are a couple of parallels here with today's passage, this upside-down dynamic of first being last, as well as the place of children and people with childlike hearts in the kingdom of heaven. It becomes very easy when we work through the Gospels to just keep repeating that, the disciples keep getting it wrong, um, but they have had what you would think is quite a significant lesson about the importance of welcoming the vulnerable, such as children, and how important it is to be a servant of all, not just the wealthy and important. And uh, perhaps this is why Jesus becomes indignant with them when he says, let the little children come to me. Now, even though this event only took place in the previous chapter, it could have been days or perhaps even weeks between these two events taking place. But in both cases, Jesus is saying something very counter-cultural and something that remains counter-cultural today that you think would have stuck with the disciples. The reality is today, as back then, we live in an adult's world. Um, of course, that makes sense. Adults are more qualified to run the world. Um, but it has always meant that children get overlooked, pushed to the side, told to be quiet, and in this case, even rebuked by the disciples when their parents try to have Jesus pray over them. So it teaches us a powerful lesson in uh, a, just how easy it is for us, like the disciples, to forget the significant lessons that God teaches us. And B, how countercultural Jesus calls us to be as we place our faith in and follow him. Uh, and I would say that in this regard, it's even more countercultural today than in Jesus' day. 
The idea of placing a blind, childlike trust, uh, trusting faith in a God, is not a very smart one by today's standards, or many of today's standards. Uh, I was raised Christian, but I was also raised sceptical. This is just the times we live in. So when Jesus says in the next verse, uh, Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. That is a challenge to me to really give my trust over to God. And it's a challenge not to forget the lessons I have learnt from God through scripture and discussions and sermons and, and all the ways that we learn. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them and blessed them. So having then become indignant with the disciples, Jesus obliges the young families and places his hands on them and blesses those children that come to him in that moment. And I know I'm preaching to the converted here, uh, talking about the importance of ministry and service to children. Um, but how significant would that moment have been for those young children? We can't forget children in an adult's world. And we can't forget Jesus' lesson that we need to be more like children in our obedience to God. So then we move on to the contrasting story with the rich young man. Verse 17, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus, uh, just leaving from this scene with the children, is approached by a man running to him and falling on his knees in front of him. This paints a really interesting picture. Um, the passage here just at this point describes him as a man rather than a rich uh, young man, but Jesus easily assesses that he has great wealth. Um, and it's not a stretch to imagine him in nice clothes presenting in such a way that people would be aware that he is well off. Um, and that happens today too. Generally, you can tell by looking at someone if they are kind of in those upper echelons of wealth. Um, although I've got to say it's a little bit more difficult here than in Victoria um, with the more casually dressed FIFO workers sometimes catching me off. Uh, but generally, when we look at someone, we, we can kind of make some of those assumptions. In any case, in biblical times, certainly being uh, wealthy or not was seen as being blessed or cursed by God. And so the way that you presented was quite important. If you were prosperous, you had God's favour, and if you were destitute, then you or an ancestor must have done something wrong, and so you were paying for the sins of the Father, as it were. And that was how they rationalised it. So back then, like today, there is an expectation about the way wealthy people would behave. We might expect them to behave in a more respectable, certainly less desperate manner. But this man runs and falls on his knees before Jesus. And that's the other thing. How often do you see an adult running? Uh, other than playing sports or trying to stop a child from doing something that they shouldn't, people don't really run in public. Um, and when you see an adult running, you, you kind of look over like, what's going on over there? This wealthy, respectable man runs and falls on his knees in desperation. Good teacher, what must I do? To inherit eternal life. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. This is a bit of a cryptic answer. Is Jesus saying that he himself is not good and so separating himself from God? 
No, we know that Jesus slowly reveals the fact that he is God and he is divine over time in the Gospels. So he's just not ready to let that, uh, that secret come out just yet. More likely, he was saying that no rabbi or teacher could be good um, in the same sense that Alex and I aren't good. And this is not just uh, Jesus having a go at teachers and rabbis. He's saying that no one can be good, not perfectly good, except God. And that's what Alex read out to us from the scriptures at the start of the service. Who can show us what is good? Let the face of the Lord shine upon us. Only God is good in that sense of um, moral goodness and perfection and, and completeness. And so this raises a couple of things. The man himself cannot hope uh, cannot have any hope of being good, not in this sense. And the follow-on from that is that there is then nothing he can do himself to earn eternal life, which is really important in the way that the conversation follows from here. Something else I really like from this that I came across in a commentary while I was preparing this message was the idea that perhaps Jesus was issuing a challenge to the man to think about later. Why do you call me good? Are you calling me God? If so, are you prepared to listen to me? Jesus continues, verse 19, You know the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud. Honour your father and mother. Teacher, the man declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. By any standard of the day, this man was good. And I think when Jesus references the Ten Commandments here, he's not just referring to the laws that he read, but it, it kind of like a shorthand of referencing all of the laws of the Old Testament. Have you kept all of these? And the man confidently says, yes, I have. But even in this, he knows that he's missing something. Otherwise, why would he be embarrassing himself in the way he has to ask this renowned teacher what he needs to do to inherit eternal life. Even as he follows the law, he knows there is something else because the law cannot make someone righteous. It can't make us perfect. It's a good thing, but it, it can only reveal our unrighteousness or help us to see the ways in which we aren't perfect. We need something more. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. This is so interesting because the man seems to really be wrestling with what Jesus has just said. On the one hand, he's clearly desperate to know what he needs to do to inherit eternal life? What's that something more that I'm missing? Uh, but on the other hand, when Jesus tells him what he needs to do, it just seems like such an impossible thing to do. And herein, Jesus has got to the crux of the matter. For this man, clearly, wealth is an idol, something that he is placing before God. This is not a blanket command for all Christians. Jesus is not telling everyone who reads this to sell everything. This is what was in the way for this man. But there are two important lessons here for us as well. 
One is, what is the thing that is an idol over and above God for us? What is the thing that gets in the way of us being able to make God number one in our lives? And the other thing is more of general advice that simply money can be a really big trap. Um, And I feel that wrestle within myself as much as anyone else does about wanting financial security but not wanting to make money an idol. Um, I know that for me when I started to... uh, that I started to view money and my dependence on it very differently when I started tithing as a young man and that was very helpful for me. Um, You may have been here late... Last year when we had a sermon series around finances and a a biblical perspective of it, and if you'd like to dig more into it, I really recommend you can find those sermons on our website. Um, It was really good. So I encourage you to look at those if that interests you. Uh, And I also want to mention here, when Jesus says this, he's not rebuking the man as such. He's not indignant with him like he is with the disciples. He looks at him and loves him. Jesus knows that this is the thing that is in the way for this man and he wants to set him free from that bondage. He loves him. Verse 23, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. How hard it is for the rich. It's that trap that money can make for us. And the disciples are amazed because, again, all of their deep-seated cultural knowledge would tell them that wealthy people have been blessed by God, so surely they're the ones that are going to inherit eternal life, who are going to enter the kingdom of God. But Jesus, when he addresses them, he calls them children, which I think helps them to understand that, yes, you are on the right path, and reinforces this point with that famous statement, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. There are a couple of different theories about just where this comes from. Um, One is that the Greek word for camel is spelt very similarly to the Greek word for rope and that some scribes simply made a typo. Uh, So perhaps in some way Jesus was describing something very difficult, but not impossible, depending on how thin a rope can be. But this relies on every manuscript we have of the Bible, of which there are thousands making the same mistake. So it's just not a plausible theory with how much evidence we have that it is camel, not rope. And beyond this, there are other texts from that time period um, and from that part of the word outside the Bible that kind of show that this was a saying that people used. And another theory is that apparently there was kind of this back gate to Jerusalem called the Eye of the Needle, which was just a really small gate. And so for a camel to get through it, they'd need to take all the packs off it and the camel would need to get on its knees to crawl through. Um, So annoying, but not really difficult. This gate hasn't been found and it... There's a whole lot of things here that don't make practical sense here. So again, this theory just isn't plausible. And moreover, both of these theories just totally miss the point. The fact that it's impossible. You can't fit a camel through the eye of a needle. There is no way to make that happen. That's the point. And so the disciples ask the right question. Who then can be saved? Who then can be saved? 
Well, as Jesus said, we people aren't good, not in the way that God is. We aren't perfect. But he goes on and he says, Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. We can't do it ourselves, but God can. We can't fit a camel through the eye of a needle, but God can. For this rich young man, his camel, if you will, was his wealth. We never hear the end of his story. We are left with him walking away sad, pondering what Jesus has said to him. And I wonder what happens. Does he end up selling his wealth and following Jesus? Maybe it's too hard. He puts the whole thing out of his mind and he continues on in, uh, in the security he has in the wealth that he's built for himself. Personally, simply because I like happy endings, I would love to believe that he kept on thinking about what Jesus said, that perhaps Jesus is good, he is God. Maybe later he hears the story of the death and resurrection of Jesus and decides to sell his things then. If he does, we don't know the end, but if he does, it's because he has offered God an open heart. And with that, God was able to work something impossible within him. He alone could not give up his wealth. But where we are lacking, God is able to work the impossible in and through us. So the question is, what are the camels that we have that get in the way? What are the camels that our friends and family have that get in the way? And how can we challenge those things and reassure ourselves and our friends that what God can offer is better and so worthwhile? And even though it seems like something insurmountable, we can't do it ourselves, God can do the impossible. It's not our job to do the impossible. God is the one who squeezes the camels through. Then Peter spoke up, we have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. That's what it takes, effectively leaving all else behind for God. Of course, we know God affirms looking after our family and that is a good thing. But he's saying God has to come first. And when we do that, we will receive eternal life and all of the blessings that come with it. Something better than we can imagine, though there will be persecutions along the way, but the kingdom is worth it. And many who are first will be last and last first. Again, Jesus talks about this upside down dynamic. We are to be like children in our hearts following after God. And we are to seek to serve the children of the world, those vulnerable, seeking and so often left behind. That is the kingdom of heaven that Jesus desires for us and for everyone to be a part of. So, do we have the heart of a child ready to receive or the heart of the rich young man with its barriers up, not letting God be first in our lives? And 
as we move into the year, where are we, like in the parable of the talents last week, seeking to use those gifts God has given us to contribute to this wonderful kingdom of heaven? And where we are lacking, what are the camels that we need to give over to God to let him do the impossible in us so that we may be transformed into people of the kingdom after God's own heart? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you can do the impossible. That when we come to you with a childlike faith, that you can do miracles in us and through us. And so this morning, as we look to the year ahead, we look at those barriers that get in the way for us and in the way for the people that we love. Lord, we just pray that, that you can do a miracle in us and in them, that you can squeeze camels through the eyes of needles, do the impossible, so that we can enter into this beautiful kingdom of heaven. Amen.